Welcome to Family First, the wild world of marketing to parents. My name is Mark Giovino, CEO and founder at the Alliance Group. I'd like to welcome Jim Andrews to this episode of Family First. Jim is a pioneer in sponsorship, a respected industry veteran, his network of contacts across sports, events, and sponsorship, from rights holders and brands to agencies, data, and technology suppliers and beyond, is unparalleled. As a sought-after thought leader, Jim is widely recognized for providing critical insights and education through trainings, appearances, and publications. In addition to identifying key trends and delivering his unique perspective on the most important issues facing rights holders and their commercial partners, he is recognized for identifying and developing strategies and concepts for securing, evaluating, and optimizing partnerships, now widely adopted by corporate, sports, entertainment, and nonprofit marketers of all types and all sizes. A frequent media commentator and guest, Jim has been a featured speaker at hundreds of sports, entertainment, and marketing conferences around the world, and we couldn't be more excited to have Jim join us on this podcast. Jim, thank you so much for joining me. It's great to be here, Mark. Thanks for having me. Let's start with family first. Tell us a little bit about your family. The, the nuclear family I grew up in was very small, just me and my folks. I grew up out in the suburbs of Pittsburgh, and my folks are still around living in, they just celebrated 50 years in the house that I grew up in. Congrats, uh, that's great. 80s now, but and try and get back there and see them as much as, as possible. And then family here in Chicago, my husband, Rich, and through him, I've got a ton of brothers and sisters-in-law and nieces and nephews that we're all very close to and try and spend as much time with as we can. You spent 30, more than 30 years with IEG, including as the chairman of the annual sponsorship conference. You authored the IEG annual report and forecast of the overall sponsorship spending, as well as directed the annual industry surveys. Curious to know if you can tell us more about where you focus your time now and some of the work you're doing with your own consultancy and own agency, AMARC Strategies. Thanks for asking. Yeah, so I took a lot of the, the, the I was the content guy at IEG, as you, as you mentioned. So all of, all of those publications, the webinars, the conference. So I've taken that and that's still a good chunk of what I'm doing. I'm just doing it for different people. So at AMARC Partnership Strategies, really three buckets. The first is... That, that content piece and uh, a big part of that is work I'm doing with my client ticket manager, hosting a, a podcast for them, interviewing folks in, in, in sponsorship and, and throughout sports and entertainment, also writing blog posts for them, hosting client summits, both in person and, and virtual. And then with, with other clients, again, one piece of the, the business is still in that content area in terms of a lot of training, hosting sponsor summits for properties, bringing their partners together for a day or two and really getting into some good conversations that way. And then the, the third slice there is just traditional, I'd say sponsorship consulting, helping rights holders with their strategies to go to market strategies and figuring out who they uh, should be going after, how they could be putting together their proposals and, and other materials. What are you hearing from rights holders and sponsors regarding their biggest challenge they're facing today? On the rights holder side, I would say it's probably the, the same issue that they've had for a, a, a challenge that they've had for many years, which is just identifying the best prospects for sponsorship. And that's everything from figuring out who the companies and categories they should be going after, as well as then figuring out the individuals, you know, the decision makers and getting in the door. 
that's I think always going to be a a big challenge uh, for for anybody on on the rights holder side. Um, and on the brand side, I think th- there's a slew of different uh, challenges for them. And I think that that, that probably. It comes down to really figuring out the the best ways to activate partnerships, the ones that are most effective. There's there's just, they have so many options nowadays. I think it used to be maybe a little simpler to be a sponsor when we didn't have all of the, the different channels and platforms. Now you've really got to say, okay, what are the avenues that we're going to take that are going to be most effective? So there's a lot to figure out if you're a brand. So the, the sponsors or brands, as you say, they haven't been insulated within the sports and entertainment sponsorship vertical or space, if you will, from what we're seeing across the entire marketing mix, where there's just this fragmentation and so many options. That's applied, it sounds like, Jim, just as equally to to this space. Is that fair to say? Sounds oh, like- ab- absolutely. Yeah. You just you, know, you think about it because that's what activation is. It's, it's marketing and communications and advertising and all of that rolled in. And yeah, it's like you've already spent money to be an official sponsor and we can talk more about that, but then obviously you layer on the activation uh, to that and and those budgets are not unlimited. So you've got to make some tough choices about where are we really going to prioritize our spending uh, to, to make sure that we're engaging with, with, with our audiences in the right way. If it's possible to generalize, what do you think brand sponsors are most interested in when evaluating a new sponsorship opportunity and maybe what trends or topics are are most often being discussed right now in those rooms, in those conversations when a brand is either evaluating or considering a new sponsorship? What's What do those conversations look like? What are the topics? And can give us some inside baseball, if you will, for what that looks like and sounds like. <laughs> yeah, sure. And that, I can talk to you all day about that. But I think in general, right, and sometimes it's hard to generalize, but I think in general, certainly sponsors, the first filters they're looking at with any new opportunity is two things. Is there, is there brand alignment? Is there a fit with both our brand values, our brand story, the, the marketing, the messages we're trying to, to, to put out there? And then equally important to that is, is audience alignment, right? Is, is this going to reach the people that I need to, to reach? And that can be different types of audiences. There are so many companies that have multiple audiences or whether it's B2B or B2C or uh, stakeholders, employees. So there are a lot of answers to that. But I think those are the two big things. And then again, in, in a general sense, before you start to look at any particular brand's individual objectives, I think every sponsor wants to try and figure out from the very beginning, hey, is this an organization that's going to be a good partner? And that's just, do they understand my needs? Do they realize that we're going to ask them to to be flexible sometimes and we're going to ask them to contribute uh, uh, their creativity to this whole process and 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 not just look at this as somebody who's approaching me wanting me to to write a check and then you know leave them alone until the next uh, the next time they come knocking. I, I think that's really something that it's important to get across for a property is uh, hey, we understand what this is all about. We understand that this is going to be a two-way street. We're not just coming to you looking for a handout, but we're looking to become a partner with a marketing partner with you. So I think those are really the kind of the things when we're talking about evaluating potential sponsorship or partnership opportunities. Beyond that, in terms of of trends, I think one I just alluded to in, in the previous question, the idea of 
is it actually necessary always to pay the, the fee to be an official sponsor? And I think that, again, when we talk about this proliferation of, of digital content and, and all of these things that have, that have come about in the last few, few decades, what we now are, are, are looking at is, is really a whole ecosystem where a brand can say, I have a lot of different ways that I can associate my brand with this particular sport or this area of entertainment. And maybe I don't necessarily need to be the official sponsor of something. In sports, for example, maybe I just need to do a couple of deals with with some athletes, or maybe now, you know, if, if you look at football, Amazon and Apple are out there offering partnerships that are, are going to give me a lot of really amazing benefits from those two powerhouse organizations, equally powerful to what the NFL can give me, you know, a little bit different, but still very tempting. So I think that's really a discussion where it's not automatic that, hey, if I want to be involved in, in any of these different uh, areas, I don't necessarily have to always pay a sponsorship fee. And I think that, speaking about the kind of work that, that, that you do, and in particular, we, we think about institutions and organizations like zoos and aquariums, that's something where sponsors really still need to be a sponsor, I think. Brands need to be a sponsor because you can't just go in and do a NIL deal with the animals. And I know that's kind of a silly thing <laughs> right. to look at it, but there, there is real actual value to what those organizations are bringing to the table that isn't, you know, you're not going to replicate that with a media company or an individual or something like that. So I think that's an interesting real kind of point of differentiation. That is really interesting. How often, Jim, do you sense, see, or hear that brands or companies will reverse engineer the data and research and supporting evidence to support a sponsorship rather than starting with a blank canvas? Now, we all know it happens. The CEO is, let's say, he's a big golfer, so he wants to go sponsor the PGA or whatever it might be. But if you had to, if you were forced to put a percentage on it, what is your sense, again, generally speaking, how often it does or doesn't happen? It doesn't necessarily mean one is right or wrong, or you can certainly find the data to support a lot of things. But I'm just curious to know from your perspective, how often that does or doesn't still happen today? Yeah, I, I don't think it happens that often. I would, percentage wise, I, I would think it's you know below 20 I'd like to think that anyway. I think we've gotten a little bit more sophisticated. And you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone is always working with as much data and insights and research as, as they could be. I'm just a huge believer in that. And I think that if you, the more of, of, of those, uh, that kind of information you have to work with, it just makes, makes it easier to really figure out what you should be doing. And I think we're still plenty of times, and even talking to big sponsors who are spending millions of dollars, sometimes I'm still a little bit surprised about the fact that they'll go in and say, we were pretty sure from the beginning that we wanted to do soccer because we have some research that says our customers are soccer fans. And so, okay, you're probably going to be fine with that, but it's like, you, you could have put a little bit more discipline into that and really dug a little bit deeper. And, and again, back to that last question, that, that, that's necessary because, okay, great. We know that our customers are, are soccer fans or, or, or what have you, but there's a lot of different entry points in there. So which one is going to make the most sense? Is it for, uh, FIFA? Is it MLS? Is it grassroots organizations with kids and particip participatory sports? 
I think there's still plenty of room for better research and, and better use of data, but I, I don't think any too many organizations are just going in with that, the old chairman's choice kind of a, a deal. I hope not anyway. How do you respond to brand marketers who take issue with the term sponsorship? And and by that, I'm someone who says, well, we don't do sponsorships. <laughs> You've hit on a, a real hot button issue for me. It's a pet peeve of mine. And they get it. I understand the reason why people are like, we don't do sponsorships. And it's unfortunate that for a lot of people, that term sponsorship, for whatever reason, has, has come to have a negative connotation. And, and, it, and it refers back to uh, a time when sponsorships were, a lot of them were unfortunately more transactional. It was that, hey, I'm going to, as a brand, I'm going to write a check and the property is going to give me a, a, a venue of, of assets and, and benefits and inventory. And that's that's what the sponsorship is. And, and we all know, those of us who've been doing it for a while, uh, that that's not really sponsorship. Technically, yes, it fits a definition, but but it really needs to not be uh, something that is transactional if it's really going to work and really be effective. It's, it's got to be that two-way street. And 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 so you know, we we always hear people like, I don't do sponsorships, I do partnerships. And so, Yes, 100%. I'm on board with that as, as a philosophy. Yep. But I also just think that from a, a pure vernacular standpoint, we still need to use the word sponsorship because it does differentiate right. what we are doing in, in, in this realm uh, versus just the general term partnership it can mean so many different things. So I love that, that idea of it's the spirit of partnership. And then these relationships, again, need to be you know, both sides need to be fully invested in the other success, all of that. I think we can still do all that and still call it sponsorship. But uh, again, there are people that uh, just don't like the term. I always find it interesting when sometimes when I field that question, we only call it partnerships. I, I want to respond and I don't, but I want to respond and say, you can call it whatever you want. <laughs> it really yeah. comes back to your point earlier. It's about the activation and what you're doing with that IP, what you're doing at retail or, or through the different channels and options and ways in. Exactly. You're spot on with that. I think the, what you call it, it, it may mean a lot for somebody like me who's producing content around it and trying to make some deep points about, about what we do. But in general, it, it is more about the spirit of, hey, do we understand what we're getting into when we're doing these kinds of things? Back to sponsorship because that's what people know, right? I mean, it's, it's a definition and people can define it however they want. But what are your thoughts on brands diversifying their sponsorship portfolios by adding more entertainment properties? And maybe one way to think about it is rebalancing the portfolio really in the same way we're often advised to rebalance a stock portfolio by including diverse sectors. And, and sectors in this space would simply mean Maybe it's in addition to sports, complementary entertainment properties, and maybe beyond sports, music, and gaming, maybe it is family-friendly entertainment. But what are, what are your thoughts and perspectives on that type of a diversification strategy and how effective that could or should be? Yeah, I think it's really important that brands do that, unless you are a very narrowly focused brand, and I can't even think of one that, that wouldn't need to do at least some diversification. Quite frankly, sports has always been the easy fallback in terms of, of sponsorship, right? We, everybody understands it. There, and 
there's a lot of not just familiarity, but that the sports organizations, to their credit, have done a, a very good job over the course of decades of of building out good partnership organizations, right? And they have people there to to help with activation and, and, and they do a relatively good job in all of the things we've been talking about in terms of sharing research and, and, and that kind of stuff. So again, I think it's, but it's become too easy for brands to say, okay, sponsorship, that equals sports. And, and we know what, what we want to do there. The good news is, Mark, I think as I talk to a lot of folks, whether it's clients or, or, or guests on, on my podcast, I'm hearing a lot more marketing folks say, we do need to really look at other options because we know, as, as we, again, as we get smarter about understanding who our audiences are and seeing the fragmentation of those folks, not everybody is, is a sports fan. And, and beyond that, most of us are, are, are multiples, right? <laughs> we have families and we like to go to concerts and we like to go to sports events. Hit us three times rather than once. So I think that most sponsors are, are getting that. So I think we're, we'll start to see less of the just, oh, let's just fall back on sports because it's easy and we're comfortable with it. And let's really, again, when, when we see these insights and we see things pop out that, oh my gosh, this is, our customer base is, is, is a natural for something, for family entertainment or something like that, then follow that, again, follow the lead of, of what the dad is telling you and, and go after those people using those types of uh, partnerships. You think it's fair to ascertain then that in some respects outside of sports and entertainment, like, like a live nation and a music part of the challenge historically has been you have the scale and you have this one central place to go in the case of live nation where whether it's festivals fairs science centers children's museums zoos aquariums there historically has not been anything that has aggregated the space right. so that may turn brands off is that fair to classify it or, or describe it in that way 100%. Yeah, I think that's, and again, I, I, I like to use a line sometimes, brands are people too, right? So the, the people that are sitting there making these decisions, they are, they've got a lot on their plates. And if they have the opportunity for got that old phrase, one-stop shopping, where, they, as you said, they can go and deal with one organization that's going to get them lots of different uh, uh, pieces uh, all, all at once. That's an easy thing to opt into rather than saying, gosh, I I would love to do something nationally, regionally, whatever it is. But that if it means going out and having to negotiate 15 different partnerships, I just don't have the bandwidth to do it. So absolutely, I think you're spot on with that. How should marketers or sponsors think about activating sponsorship? We've talked about that a little bit. And and I guess as as a second part of that question what role should the rights holder or the teams play in that, if any? And I think a, a Manchester United from years ago was was a strong case study in building those type of capabilities in-house from an activation, almost like an agency model in-house. Right. What are your thoughts on what roles they should and shouldn't play and how to approach activating these type of sponsorships? Yeah, I, so I think... It- from the property perspective, absolutely, I think it it only makes sense for both parties for the properties to be involved, and that's one thing I again say to to rights holder property clients all the time is this is an investment in you, 
to do the to be a good partner on on the activation side of things because that's again those of us who've done this for a while know that it's the activation that gets the results right so it's the activation that's really going to be measured and i know we'll talk about measurement in a little bit but that's really where brands are going to get the roi or the roo on these uh, types of partnerships and if they're not activated, they're not going to get the results that they need. And they're very likely they're not going to come back. They're going to try something else. So the more the property is invested in saying, let us be your agency, if you will, and uh, and help you uh, figure out not only what to activate, but but help you to execute it, whether it's on-site or something like that, that's going to come back to 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 the property, right? In, in renewals, in, in increased uh, valuations for, for the next term, uh, whatever it is. So I think it, it's, it's a critical piece. And it it's a challenge, certainly, again, for, for I think for all properties, but especially if you're, if you're talking about, uh, you know, smaller organizations, it, I, I get that's a lot to take on. It's a point that, you know, now you're telling me not only do I have to have people here who can go out and and, and secure sponsorship and and, and be those uh, uh, revenue generating people, but now I either have to split those duties or hire other people who are then going to be the activation partners. And so I, I get that can be a, a challenge for some organizations, but again, it is an investment in, in the future. Otherwise, you're just going to be on that treadmill of, of of constantly out there trying to find new sponsors to replace the ones who didn't get that support, didn't activate properly, and, and are no longer with you. So I, I think it's it's a worthwhile investment for sure. You you mentioned measurement a minute ago. Let's chat about the the elephant in the room that often uh, people do but don't want to talk about. That's so critical. What's the right way to approach sponsorship ROI? And I think maybe that was something where I reference you being a pioneer at IEG, really on the ground level of measuring what other people really struggled with measuring. So how do you continue to advise sponsors and for that matter, rights holders on how to become more sophisticated? What's the right way to approach measurement and ROI? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's a, it's a bit of a frustrating one for me because I, it, it's, I think it's the one area in sponsorship where we just, I don't think we've seen as much advancement as in other areas. There's still, we've gotten better, but there's still a lot of brands that rely on very kind of top line measurement, right? They look at things like impressions generated and, and to use those as, as your sole focus and to say, that we're going to make a a decision on this sponsorship based on what's easy to measure. Or my my friend Ricardo Fort, former head of sponsorship for Visa and and Coca-Cola, calls vanity measurements, right? They look good because they're nice, pretty numbers and they're big numbers. And you can show them to somebody who doesn't really get sponsorship and they're going to go, oh, okay, that looks fantastic. But we know that they're not necessarily very meaningful. So there's, again, I think, there's so much room for brands to to get a little bit more sophisticated. And, and it, again, it requires an investment in, in, in being willing to do that. You're, you're going to have to spend some money, not a lot, but but some in 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 the in the tools that you need to uh, to really figure out whether you're translating those outputs. So it's like we entertained a thousand people at an event. We gave out five thousand product samples. 
let's follow that through. What happened as a result of that? Did the, the customers that were entertained end up writing more business? Did we convert some of those people who, who had a trial of the product into buyers? It's not necessarily easy to do some of that, but it's possible to do it. And that's going to give us the real information of, hey, this actually worked. I've seen too many brands who have stopped. And I'll give you a quick example. A NASCAR team that I worked with back in my IEG days and all of those top line measurements looked terrible. They were a sponsor of a car and the car wasn't, the team wasn't doing well. So they were getting no visibility uh, on the broadcast. They, they just, all of those kinds of things were people aware of the sponsorship, not really. But when they dug a little bit deeper and they did some kind of advanced you know, business science and uh, had some people do some, some modeling, they still found that they were generating a, a significant amount of sales from that partnership and from the promotions that were tied to it. And it was a number that was much higher than what they were paying for the sponsorship. So again, if you looked at it simply, you thought, I don't think this is working. When you did the work and drilled down a little bit deeper, it's, oh no, actually this thing is paying for itself and more. So we shouldn't just get rid of it. Maybe we can do some things to improve some of those other metrics and even and then ultimately increase the, the sales that we're getting. But we're doing okay with it, even though it may not look like it if you just took that glance. That's a good example of it. It almost feels like it should be easier than it is. That, that people <laughs> are making it. And and maybe this is an oversimplification, but can't we look across the asset mix, work hand in hand with the brands? And I'm speaking on if if I were the property rights holder. And, and identify prior to launching the campaign, hey, we're talking about consumer promotion at retail. So for six weeks, eight weeks, whatever the time period is, we're going to leverage this partnership to try to drive sales in that exact example. We're going to weight media, but, but you weighted accordingly. Hey, 25% of what we're doing is, and hey, 60% of everything we do, we want the digital assets or the social media or whatever the brand lift and whatever the, can it be that easy? And by easy, I don't mean unsophisticated but right. and not meaning a commitment, but you just gave such a great example of it can be that easy, shouldn't it, if we just commit to it? Yeah, it, it, that's the thing. It's making that commitment. And I think that, you know, you, you said something there that, that's really important too. It's like when you start these partnerships, it's are we all in, in alignment on what the objectives are? Because sometimes that's... That's even something that internally brands may, might be debating. It's like, we really think this is a a marketing driven awareness type of play, and somebody on the uh, another part of the organization is like, no, no, this needs to be about product sales and retail sell throughs. And it's like, let's first of all let's agree on what those objectives are, and let's make them very specific and measurable, so that we can say at the end of the season, the end of the year, term, whatever it is this was the benchmark where we were and this is where we wanted to get to. Did we get there? But and in that way, yes, it, that becomes not necessarily easy, but, but simple and, and straightforward. Have you ever seen a correlation to stock market performance when it comes to sponsorships? There's some, there's some research out there. Some, there's some academic research out there that does show a, a correlation and where they've tried to isolate the impact of, say, I remember one that, that I saw not too long ago when a, a company would announce a big sponsorship. 
And not just if there was a bump that day or whatever, I could not explain to you how the research was done that, that kind of could track the impact of that over over time, but they were able to do that. And in general, I think if I remember correctly, it was pretty positive. And, and again, I you know that's probably a little bit more sophisticated than most people even have to get. But yeah, that's yeah. it's certainly something to look at. But but yeah, I just think that you know, with all of those different ways of measuring, and as you said, if you just make the commitment to doing it, <laughs> that's a huge first step. And it's again, it's scalable too. If you're Anheuser Busch and you're spending hundreds of millions of dollars on sponsorships, and they do a good job of this. To, to spend a few million <laughs> measuring wh- whether that other 100 million or 200 million was, was working makes a lot of sense. If you're spending $100,000, obviously, you're not going to be able to do some of that more sophisticated type of research. But again, it's it, it, you're, you should be able to do the, a, a minimum that's going to allow you to say, yeah, we move the needle on, in terms of, of whatever our objective was. I wonder if the the industry will almost be forced to become more sophisticated when we see this these news headlines about the growing divide between how the CEO and the CMO identify marketing as a key growth driver. Right. I, I would imagine in, in a very positive good way it's going to that pendulum's going to swing to the point where you where you have to justify it or rationalize it internally so it's going to force the rights holders and everyone across the ecosystem to do a better job committing to exactly as you articulate what are our objectives and how are we measuring against that yeah and i hope you're right I'm somewhat skeptical because i think we've it is a hope like I, I as i say it i'm like ah, let's hope we get there so I yeah we've been there before i'm like okay this is it this is the tipping point where yeah, right. we're gonna, and it hasn't happened yet in the yeah. 36 years i've been doing this but maybe now. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Well, let's talk about the shiny new object in the room that everyone's talking about when it comes to AI and artificial intelligence. How do you think AI will revolutionize or impact the sponsorship industry? But the potential, obviously, with AI is huge. You know, I think we're seeing it in one small way, not so small, but specific way right now. And that's uh, company properties uh, that are using AI for lead generation to, to, to really, you know, identify who they should be going after because it's, we, as, as rights holders, as properties to, to keep fishing in the, in the same pond with the brands that we all know and love is not going to get you very far, right? We've got to diversify that. And we've seen, it's amazing to me every day when I look at the, the, the uh, sponsorship headlines, if you will, it's like the brands that are coming into this space and who is that? I've never heard of that company, which I think it's great, right? We're getting all of these, whether they're uh, direct-to-consumer brands or technology brands coming in and realizing that, hey, they could really use sponsorship. But when you back that out, it's how did that property even find that company? An obscure one. And sometimes it's because they're headquartered down the street. But for most properties, that's a real challenge is how do I surface these good prospects? and they're starting to use AI to do that because it can just do that kind of research a lot faster than a human can, for better or worse. And then I just think of the whole data piece, and we've touched on that a couple of times here, but there's so much 
data and insights, well, data first, that properties have on their customers, on their fans, on their ticket buyers, attendees, whoever it is, that brands would love to have access to. Even if I'm the most sophisticated brand marketer in the world, I don't have as much information on the fans of, of, of a team or, or an entertainment property as that rights holder does. So how can we unlock that and have it you know, shared? And I think that's where AI, because you know, a lot of the, uh, the folks on the property side, not necessarily super sophisticated about what to do with that data. They've got it and it's sitting there, but there is a, there's a lot of work to be done to pull out the insights and, and, and figure out what's usable. And I think that's where AI is just primed to, to be applied to that task and saying, we can analyze this, this mountain of, of data and pull out what's most important for the property in terms of selling more tickets. We also pull out what's most important for those brand partners in terms of what would be the best way to activate to reach uh, these individual fans and consumers and attendees. I'd imagine too, it would help internally first, maybe lower the silos between the different business units, whether it's ticketing, merchandise, concessions, mm -hmm. game day, across the whole experience. Because once you have that data that's integrated internally for the property, the rights holder, it's much more actionable for the brands, I would imagine, versus the very disparate data that may exist now. Oh, absolutely. I think you, you've definitely hit on, I think, probably the, the number one pain point when it comes to data for, for those organizations is, again, it's like, yeah, we've got all this, da this data, but it lives in six different places and it's in different systems. And how do we actually put it all together? It, 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 that's doable, but again, it, it, it's a process and it takes a while. And it, yeah, definitely AI could be very useful there. Let's end as we started with your family. What are some activities or experiences you and your husband and, and your extended family, nieces, nephews, everyone, what do you guys enjoy together, doing together? Uh, on, on the domestic side, we were both really interested in cooking. Uh, so we try to do a lot of that. We do a lot of having friends and family over for meals and I'm the griller and kind of the main course guy. And Rich is definitely the baker. He's an amazing baker, which is not good for my waistline, but but I do enjoy enjoy all of that. And then he and I both really love to to travel. So we've got a, a couple of things going on there. We're, we're trying to get to all fifty states. I've got two left. So right. which two? North Dakota and Montana. So <laughs> makes sense. I would imagine. I've heard. I've never been to Montana, but I've heard it's absolutely beautiful. And, and yeah, looking forward to that. We might do a Yellowstone thing. Just we're out in actually South Dakota and Wyoming for the first time and really impressive, beautiful. Went to, to Mount Rushmore and Devil's Tower. And so, yeah, there's so many great things to see. And then internationally, we've got a trip coming up. We're going to hit uh, Iceland, France and Barcelona coming up here. We're very excited about that. Hopefully we'll get to see the Northern Lights in, in Iceland. Everybody tells us that's amazing. Travel and food are probably the two big things. Those are great lifestyles to uh, to enjoy for sure. Jim, thank you so much for joining me. This was uh, this was a fun conversation. I'm happy to do it, Mark. Always great to talk to you and look forward to continuing the conversation in all of the different ways that we do that. And thank you for listening in to this episode of Family First, the wild world of marketing to parents.